It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. My gosh, I was so proud of my kids. Well, I was recovering from not doing well after all of my, you know, boosters and everything. And I still ended up getting COVID, wearing masks, still in cotton. Yeah, so... Anyway, better, but while I was quarantined to my room, my boys were awesome. They rescued a cat. They found the owner. I know. It was very sweet. So, Mango found her home. She had, yeah. So, it was very sweet. I was very proud of my boys. I wanted to go run down there and meet everybody and yeah, see but you the can't town, later. But, but no, I couldn't. So that was awesome, and I'm so excited that Carrie emailed us. Uh, yeah. She talked about being a huge Jane Goodall fan and that right. she wanted to go live with the Chimps, which I Cute. love. Obviously, I love Jane Goodall too, and really appreciate the emails with people letting us know what they like and you know continue with the suggestions with people right. that we can. Check out. For I just sure. love hearing from people, and I'd yeah. love to know where people are are listening from. Yeah. So, awesome. Thanks, Carrie. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I've been driving <laughs> up Southwest Garden Home Road going on 10 oh. years now because when my older two kids were in third and fourth grade, they started West Hills Christian. Mm-hmm. We drive right by Multnomah Village. But I didn't know while driving my kids to school to and from that I'd been passing this lovely little farm as I've been recently kind of catching a little bit more information as I'm driving by. But this little farm is dubbed Sunflower Farm, which is a headquarters for Focus on Youth. They have this small parcel of land and Focus on Youth runs a program called Seeds of Hope. And it's since 2003, they've been providing mentoring and hands-on learning experiences for over 16,000 disadvantaged and homeless youth in the area. Like, I had no clue. They Right in our backyard. Right in the backyard. Like, I'm driving by these people for years. They partner with local schools, community organizations, developing projects, engage students in this. It's cool because they incorporate learning but with this imagination and creativity and working on building their self-confidence and self-worth. You know, as we've talked on the podcast, that the pandemic has created even a greater risk for the most marginalized, um, like these kids, leading to greater food insecurity and serious illness. The little farm has been working super hard to expand their services during this time to reduce food insecurity for the youth in in their community. Part of the program is to teach the homeless about nutrition and where food comes from through this hands-on activities. The students grow over a ton of organic fruit and vegetables. They build the raised cedar beds. They're filling them with compost, planting the seeds. They harvest the food, and then they cook meals on site. So this, I should donate my yard. They yeah, can come, come and do it. Well, they the, can eat whatever they want. Yeah, uh, the, this allows the students connect with nature and mm-hmm. the joy of creating food with their own hands. Students also are given the opportunity to use these digital cameras, which is where the creativity mm-hmm. piece comes in to capture the beauty of the garden. Over this past year, they've spread over two hundred twenty-four tons of organic wow. compost. They've tripled their size of their garden. 
with the help of volunteers, maybe we can do this sometime. Yeah. They have partnered with Solve Oregon. Oh. And so you can go and weed yeah. and do all sorts of activities. Zach bought me some gloves. This is awesome, too. Uh, they are a part of the proceeds, like 30% of the proceeds goes to uh, breast cancer oh. research. And it's an all-female company so that awesome. makes these gardening gloves for women. That's so, so cool. He was hinting, apparently, that I need to maybe get out Maybe out there. <laughs> They also operate a flower stand seven days a week, so the, the bouquets are range from fifteen to twenty dollars. And then these funds they raise help provide e- even more meals for these homeless mm-hmm. youth. They also recently received a grant from Child's Foundation to purchase a commercial greenhouse. And I think that's what I saw this purple greenhouse. Oh, uh-huh. It kind of caught my eye when I was driving. They added a flock of chickens um, that will produce over ten thousand eggs that they're planning to do- donate over the upcoming year. And just what an awesome organization. Yeah. Talk about spreading love and compassion. And this farm is providing a nurturing environment for kids who really need it. And I love how they're incorporating the farming and the nutritional education mm-hmm. as part of the solution. Yeah. You know? And do they sell the flower? I mean, like, is it they a, a drive-by? I think, but yeah. Thing? I mean, hmm. and you haven't seen that. I haven't seen it. I haven't, yeah, well, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm going at 8 in the morning. Yeah. It's too early. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't often go back that way. I'm, I'm avoiding some work yeah. that's being done on, on, on Multnomah gotcha. Drive. But, well, um, and that might so be I more need, our thing. to explore yeah. this. A little bit to check out with the because I had texted Amy to ask her if we should do community loaves, which is a group out of Seattle. Now they have hubs in Portland, yeah. And you make they have a recipe where you make three loaves of bread, you give away two of them to your hub, and they give them to people that you know have need food, and then you keep one. Which I just I love that concept. Neither one of us are bakers, so maybe we love the weed, and I love that you do it there though. I yeah. first thought yeah. when you sent that to me that I'd be making something well, at home. Well, I just love that, it, you know, yeah. it's growing. Right. And this is, she just, she has, she works for a college as an administrator, but she just noticed that people. People have need. Are, in need. Yeah. They're hungry. Right. Yeah. And it's, other people are happy to help. So it's. Finding the right together. thing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So we're on episode 86. And I'm talking about Jackie Robinson. And if you would have asked me a month ago who Jackie Robinson was, I I think I would have guessed a baseball player, but that would be about it. And I know it's totally un-American, but baseball is just not my thing. Yeah. What about you? I'm not much of a baseball okay. fan <laughs> okay. either. Feel better. There's just so much standing around, yeah. so many numbers, long. stats. Yeah, it's just, it's boring. I think I unintentionally passed that on to my kids, too. <laughs> and we always wanted to have the boys to try a number of activities, find out what they liked, right. what they were good at, etc. So we did introduce T-ball. I kept my opinions about the game to myself. Yeah. So my middle guy was out playing, I'm guessing, outfield. I'm, I'm assuming that's the position because yeah. he was out in the field. Every time you looked out, he was a little bit further, a <laughs> little bit further. You'd look out. He's kind of worried. Bit, yeah. Pretty soon he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't on the field. He had backed up all the way to oh, the swing no. center. Swinging was more fun than yeah. waiting around for a play on the field. And how could you get mad at him? I mean, he totally inherited that from me. Oh. But just because I don't know or follow baseball doesn't mean there aren't some amazing people that I right. should know about. For sure. And I'm not just referring to plays so much, but more so their hearts. Yeah. And Jackie Robinson was in both of those categories major force on the field, and even more so a role model 
and an example for the world in general. He had such a full life in his 53 years. He, 53 years. Wow. So young when he passed. So I'm going to have to make it a two-part yeah. podcast, which we've never done before. No. But, wow. Um, yeah. He's just, it was too much to fill in one to have in one spot. I recently read Castaya's, Castaya Kennedy's book called True, The Four Seasons of Jackie Robinson, and it definitely piqued my interest. Robinson's family actually gave interviews and helped with the telling of the story, so I appreciate the accuracy. The one thing I wasn't super excited about, the baseball stats. Oh, okay. <laughs> and as I noted, they're pre- they pretty much put me to sleep. And I know I'm in the minority, so most people will be all over the stats. Yeah. And the history of the players, and I mean, he talks about certain plays, right. so they'll love that. But... One day I was talking about the book in class. You know how I do that. And someone asked if I had seen the Chadwick Boseman movie, 42, on Netflix right now. Oh, yeah, I've not. So you have to watch it. Yeah. So I watched that as well as there was a movie called The Jackie Robinson Story made in 1950. Wow. It starred Jackie Robinson playing himself. So I watched both of those because this book, like I said, piqued my interest. But I would definitely recommend 42. Okay. You don't. I would recommend 42. When my son found out that I'd watched the movie 42, he commented on how awful it was with the use of, you know, the N-word all throughout the movie. Made him uncomfortable. And while I absolutely, you know, I despise the use, I, I thought about it a lot. I think I disagree with him. After thinking it over, I understand they had to include that. It's a major part of the story. Right. To just gloss over the names he was called and how he was treated in a way, would be disrespectful, oddly, right. I think. Right. He endured some of the most horrible displays of racism, but remained laser-focused. He wanted to open up doors for other black athletes, and the way to do that was playing well and staying calm when under attack. He was constantly turning the other cheek instead of lashing out, fighting, wow, or just quitting. Yeah. It did... In fact, open doors for other black athletes and more, just as he planned. And I think that's why, or in part, why his legacy is so inspiring. Jack Roosevelt Robinson was the youngest of five kids. He was born January 31st, 1919 in Cairo, Georgia. And his dad, sadly, left the family shortly after his birth, which is sad. His mother moved the family to Pasadena, California. The book I read that I was talking about discussed his wife, Rachel, a lot, but it didn't really cover his early years or his mother much. Now, that 1950 yeah. movie in which he starred in, so I think there's, you know, a little bit of accuracy there, portrayed her as a typical domestic without, she didn't seem to have a lot of confidence, yeah. um, a little naive, and I, I feel like she just kind of knew her place. Oh, so yeah. I'm sure there are tons of books on her, too. But Jackie played several sports at Muir High School. He was a quarterback on the football team, a guard in basketball. He was shortstop and catcher in baseball. He wow. played tennis and track and field. So he was an athlete. <laughs> Total. When he was at UCLA, he was the first athlete there to earn varsity letters in four sports, baseball, basketball, football, and track. Impressive. Wow. Yeah. Clearly, he was talented. Robinson didn't finish college. He, he, his older brother was working kind of a menial job. So he saw that his brother had gone to college and it didn't really help him much. So he didn't see it helping him get a professional right. job. So he didn't finish. But he ended up joining the Army in 1942. He worked his way up 
to second lieutenant and was part of the 761st Black Panther Tank Battalion. Wow. His contribution to civil rights started there. When at a training at Fort Hood, Texas, Jackie refused to sit in the back of the bus. They were segregated at the time. Remember, this is way before Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. It was before Claudette Colvin or Rosa Parks refused to move to the back of the bus. Definitely before the famous Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Board of Education. Yeah. So when he refused to move to the back of the bus, he was court-martialed and charged. During his lifetime, Jackie Robinson would write so many letters to politicians, civil rights allies, business leaders, etc. They'd eventually make a book out of them. Which wow. That. Those yeah. letters started back when he was court-martialed. And you can find the letter online. It's eloquent, brutally truthful. Jackie Robinson was known for speaking his mind, and he definitely was warming up with this letter. It was persuasive enough that the Army dropped their charges, partly because they didn't want the publicity. Right. So either way, whatever it took. Later, when he was being scouted, having that on his record actually helped him in a way. It proved that he excelled in what he put his mind to. He was educated, articulate, and he had the temperament of someone who could actually promote change. So keep in mind, these black Americans were fighting Nazis in Europe and then coming home to violence, racism, lynchings. The book includes a couple of stories I won't go into gory detail with, but just trust me, some of these soldiers, these American heroes, came back to almost worse conditions. At least that's hard to imagine. You think war would be. I know. You you can't imagine anything worse than war. But. In war times, you know who the enemy is. You come home and you... Yeah, so it's just sad. But fun fact, Jackie's brother, Mac, the one who um, had graduated from college, won the silver medal in the 200 meter at the 1936 Berlin Olympics in front of Hitler. That's awesome. He also attended the University of Oregon. Oh, wow. So another another nod to our... Um, to Eugene here. It also goes into how much better they were treated in Canada. Apparently, our friends up north were way more evolved than us. Jackie Robinson called them fair and considerate because he played up there before. It's also, it's just hard to wrap your head around the fact that that in the United States, we had separate white and (laughs) I hate to say it, but it was white and colored baseball leagues. I just... And it's, you know, while it's clear Jackie was a good pick for crossing the color barrier, he had to be given a chance first in order to even get there. And that's when Branch Ricky comes into play. I had to dig into this guy a little, too. And not just because Harrison Ford played him. He plays character in that movie, 42. Wow. Which I love Harrison Ford. And I can't believe he's 80. Harrison Ford? Yeah, he just, he's, oh uh, they were talking gosh. about who's turning 80. Oh, so long? No he's way. He's 80 and Paul McCartney's 80. I just oh can't gosh. believe it. But okay, sorry to interrupt. Um, <laughs> so I had to look into Branch Ricky. The book has, and interviews that I've seen with Jackie Robinson made it evident that Robinson had a genuine respect and admiration for Ricky. Not to the point of a fatherly figure, yeah. but, but pretty dang close. Ricky came from a pious family. In fact, his name, Branch they said might have been referenced to the Old Testament. So he attended the University of Michigan, and he wanted to get a job as a baseball coach. Ricky asked every alumni he had ever met to write letters to the athletic director, (laughs) and that totally reminded me of Bob Goff getting into law school and just being persistent. 
The athletic director convinced the dean of the law school that Ricky would be able to keep up with his studies and coach. So uh, the athletic director, Bartlemay, called Ricky into his office and said he had the job, if only, quote, to put a stop to those damn letters that come in every day. But actually, he was impressed with Ricky's passion for baseball, his idealism with athletics, and its role on the college campuses. So Ricky had been an officer in World War I and was responsible for the first full-time spring training facility in Vero Beach, Florida. He helped develop the farm system, which I think is where they start in the lower leagues. Okay. Oh, yeah. He encouraged the use of batting cages, which they totally use all the time now. He um, pushed pitching machines and batting helmets. Wow. He also pioneered the use of stats in analyzing baseball. Which is so ironic that this guy that I admire, the one who made stats so popular, (laughs) the very thing that makes my eyes glaze over, and I still admire him. He had a moral compass and an ethical pull to integrate baseball. Many people would say that it was to make more money, and definitely there's no denying that that played into it for sure. But Ricky had witnessed racism and wanted to do his part. In 1903, he saw Charles Thomas, a friend and teammate at Ohio Wesleyan University, denied a room at a hotel while they were traveling for an away game. Ricky would say, I never felt so helpless in all my life. And likely, I think that event was what planted a seed in him. He later said, I may not be able to do something about racism in every field, but I can sure do something about it in baseball. And I just obviously admire that, especially in the day. When the time came, he sent scouts out to not just look for the best ball player, but the best ball player that could cross the color barrier. Oh, that's awesome. Ricky knew that whoever was chosen would endure more than most of us can comprehend. When Ricky told his friend and broadcaster Lowell Thomas of his plan, Lowell replied that all hell would break loose, to which Ricky responded, No, Lowell, all heaven will rejoice. And I just love that he was trying to do the right thing. Right. At the same time, he was patient with his plan. He gave it a lot of thought, and he wanted to do whatever he could to increase the chances of it being successful. When he would talk to Robinson, he would remind them um, that he couldn't fight. Robinson couldn't fight back on the field. He said, you must accept the living conditions, swallow your pride and anger, push yourself aggressively on the bases, even when you're criticized. Totally, I mean, yeah. absolutely brilliant, but I know I could never do that. Right. I, I that's... Must be the Taurus in me, so I, I will, I, I just couldn't do that. So I admire this guy. Where he would remind him to turn the other cheek, and Robinson constantly took the high ground, and eventually his teammates would notice that. They were definitely reluctant in the beginning, a nice way to put it, but when they witnessed what Robinson endured, it eventually united the team. It wasn't just Robinson who had to tolerate the abuse and turn the other cheek. His wife, Rachel, was also treated like a second-rate citizen. When Rachel and Jackie Jr. were in Vero Beach, they were denied a taxi when they were headed to one of the games. One time they were bumped a flight. They had to wait back because when they showed up, they suddenly didn't have any seats for them. Um... Yeah, just terrible things that happened to both Rachel and uh, Jackie Robinson. Remember, this was a time when people were judged by the color of their skin. Instead of being defined by their abilities, their characters, right? You know, their achievements. But waiting for the right time, Ricky kept uh, 
Ricky kept Robinson in the lower levels playing for the Royals until things were aligned, or at least aligned in his mind. When Robinson joined the Dodgers for spring training in 1946, it was still two years before President Truman ordered desegregation wow. in the armed yeah. forces, which wow. amazed me. That this, is hap- this is happening. This happened all before. Wow. When he was officially signed on um, with the Major League Baseball Dodgers in 1947, he earned Rookie of the Year and led the National League with a number of stolen bases. Still, there were stadiums filled with booing. Some stadiums just canceled the games altogether, and there were death threats. They made references to fried chicken and watermelon, and honestly, I had to look those up because who doesn't love those? I'm like, how can that be derogatory? But Just evidence that bullies come up with some of the most ridiculous digs. The Philadelphia Phillies manager, Ben Chapman, would holler that Robinson was sleeping with the other teammates' wives. Oh. You know, these are this is during games. Right. Or at least trying to have sex with them. Thank goodness the team had faith in Robinson and knew it was just a desperate attempt to shake him up. In Atlanta, when someone sent a letter saying they were going to shoot Jackie if he was in the game, one teammate, Gene Hermansky, Suggested that they all wear the number 42, Aww. saying that the nut wouldn't know who That's to shoot awesome. at. I, I thought that Aww. was just the yeah. sweetest. It was such a contrast to the start of the season when teammates gave him the cold shoulder. His closest friend on the team, Pee Wee Reese, asked Robinson if he wouldn't mind moving a few feet away. After he had been. <laughs> I know. And I, I really hope that he was teasing. Right. But I'm sure there was a little bit of. You know, a little bit of truth, a little yeah. bit of fear in there, too. Another teammate, Carl Erkstein, wrote in a, his book that Robinson, quote, he was the greatest competitor I ever played with. And some of that came from his greater awareness of things of injustice. He'd get a look of consideration. So I think he, yeah. you know, he just thought. He's honestly impacting people yeah. around him. Everyone mm-hmm. around him. Interestingly, the same year Robinson was signed on with the Dodgers, a letter to the editor appeared in the Atlantic Constitution addressing racial tension across the country and reported murders by white mobs. In Georgia, Mako Snipes had been the first black man to cast a vote in the Democratic primary, only to be shot in the back by a member of the KKK. A few days after that, two black couples were surrounded and murdered by a group of 15 to 20 white men took place on a dirt road about 60 miles east of Atlanta, and that was about 240 miles from Robinson's birthplace. The victims were George W. and May Murray Dorsey and Roger and Dorothy Malcolm. George had served five years in the Pacific during World War II, and Dorothy was pregnant. Oh, my gosh. The letter referred to, quote, the scarecrow of social mingling and intermarriage was one that so many black men, Robinson included, could relate to. The letter pointed out the movement towards racial justice that Robinson, with his ball playing, was forging. It was the start for a push for equal opportunities in education and public service, and in the light of the recent murders, equality before the law. It was the first piece, it was, you know, first piece of writing published by this 17-year-old sociology major at Morehouse College. The letter to the editor was signed M.L. King Jr. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So because Robinson was such a great player, he earned the respect of others. Some starting to see, you know, they started to see past the colors of his skin. And I think 
better late than never, but um, I read about a picture of a bunch of white boys who are waiting in line to get an autograph from Jackie Robinson. So many youngsters of the day wanted to be Jackie Robinson. In 1946, when he wasn't playing with the majors yet, he won the international batting title, stole 40 bases, scored more runs than any player on the team, had 25 doubles, 8 triples, walked 92 times, was struck out only 27 times. He had 155 hits in 124 games. He was an all-star for six consecutive seasons from 1949 to 1954. He was the first black player inducted in his Hall of Fame. Not knowing much about the game, I will assume those are impressive stats. Yeah, I would agree. I have to say, with the plays I've watched... The best parts, I for me, I yeah. think, are him stealing bases. It's like a cat and mouse teasing type, you know, with right. him. Going back and then his dives. He was fearless when he dove into those bases. So often pitchers would aim to hit him. I guess it was worth it to have him walk, just to have the upper hand. Other times they'd dig their cleats into him, just doing whatever oh. they could to intimidate him, to show him his place or try to get him off the field. Robinson just wanted to be given an equal opportunity to play the game. I so admire what he and his wife, Rachel, endured to open the doors for other players to follow. He knew that to make a difference with people, he had to prove himself first. And prove himself, he did. Ricky would talk to him about how he'd have to turn the other cheek, and Robinson asked if if Ricky was looking for someone who wasn't strong enough to fight back. And Ricky was quick to note, but no, he wanted someone strong enough to not fight back, or at least not fight back in the traditional sense. And Jackie proved to be the perfect choice. He was an exceptional ball player who impressed black and white spectators. He was able to cross that color barrier and get fans on both sides. Those early years on the field helped start a bridge in a way. I admire that he and Rachel were willing to endure the name-calling, the threats, the inhumane treatment, to start the shift in our thinking as a society. It got some people to look at the skills, the talent, the determination, his hard work instead of the skin color. Things most of us take for granted now and and we can't even comprehend, but a very real part of our history. Even sadder, that it's still a struggle that our country faces today. So yeah, there was just too much to talk about with Jackie Robinson. This first round was to set the stage He ended up, you know, a very influential athlete, but it came at a price and a price he paid every single game because there was just too much to talk about. I decided to break it down into two segments. So this one was covering Jackie Robinson, the Dodgers ball player. Yeah. And next time I'll talk about Jackie Robinson, the civil rights activist. Wow. I definitely discovered there's a reason this guy is a legend. So to be continued with Jackie Sounds Robinson. Sounds good. I can't wait. It's certainly a man of extreme character. Yeah, I, like, I oh. had no idea, yeah. honestly. Life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. Jackie Robinson. I don't know if you remember, but this was a pretty big story back in 2020. Just after, you know, COVID quarantine yeah. was lifted in New York City. This starts off. Not only a Karen story, <laughs> but a racist Karen story Aww. with that. It really grew out of this guy's passion for birds. Christian Cooper is an avid bird watcher, and he's been a birder since he was 10. Oh. His interest in birds started when he had to do a woodworking project for school and built a birdhouse, <laughs> which I had to do birdhouses in bluebirds. Okay. My poor mom. We went out, and we Aww. we put them out in, like, a field, and yeah. my mom got 
poison oak. Oh no. So that is my memory from bluebirds and oh, our birdhouses. Sweet. But anyway, so Christian Cooper, he built a birdhouse. He started watching to see if any birds would come to use his project, which I think is adorable. <laughs> Later, he was given a bird book for a trip to the West Coast, and he started looking for and identifying different birds along the way. He fell in love with the spectacular birds that are all around us. Christian is now 59 and a freelance writer and still an avid bird watcher. He was bird watching, and it's that that thrust him into the national spotlight in 2020. Christian was in Central Park bird watching in a part of the park known as Ramble. A woman with her dog came along. The dog was roaming oh, off yeah. leash. The ramble is clearly posted with signs saying dogs need to be leashed, and Christian asked the woman to put her dog on a leash. Totally right. understandable. The woman, Amy Cooper, said she didn't need to put her dog on a leash. When the dog came close to Christian, he called the dog to give him a treat and allowed the woman to put the dog on a leash. Here is where the incredible part occurred. Amy Cooper started threatening to call the police on Christian, who at this point had only asked to put her dog on, you know, he'd asked to put the dog on a leash, tried to give him a treat. Ms. Cooper yelled, don't touch my dog. She then said to Christian, I'm calling the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American male threatening my life. Oh, my God. She pulls out her phone, and so did Christian. Ms. Cooper called 911, and Christian began a video recording Recording the incident on his phone. Ms. Cooper told the 911 operator, there is an African-American man. I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. Please send the cops immediately. Amy Cooper then put her dog on the leash and began. I hate that her name's Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Not representing well with Amy. She put her dog on the leash and began to walk off. Christian, once she leashed the dog, can be heard on the video saying thank you. Christian's sister first posted the video on Twitter, and Christian posted the video on his own Facebook page. It quickly went viral. I think there were like four I million. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why I loved seeing the story. It was yeah. on NPR. Um, for Christian, it wasn't about getting the woman in trouble, but about sharing the type of behavior that African Americans right. face every single right. day. First, the woman's reaction to call the police because somebody asked her to simply follow the park rules. Makes her a full-on Karen, and I'm sorry for for the Karens in the world with that name, but her insistence on bringing Christian's race into it, highlighting both to Christian and to the 911 operator that it was an African-American threatening her, makes her full-on racist. right. There was no threatening going on, though. No. You know? Absolutely not. It wasn't until later that the police became involved after there was significant media attention about the event. This is one good thing about social media. Christian refused to press charges, but the police went ahead and charged Amy Cooper with making a false 911 call as she was obviously not in any danger when she made the call. Wasting the time. No kidding. You know, they could be out on another call that actually is important. Yeah. The charges were eventually dismissed, and Ms. Cooper went on to a five-week-long diversion program regarding race relations. Oh, that's good that they all, they did that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, you know what I, I mean. She, I, did a little she needs more than that, but yeah. at least they're doing yeah, something exactly. that's that's um, true. That's that true. fits. The, I am curious about this. Um, you know, what the diversion program? Yeah, is I don't know, yeah. but I, that would be interesting. But, wait, but if. We, how do you make change happen? Right. That's what I'm yeah. getting at. I mean, I, I'm not, maybe it's not a hefty enough, but yeah. I think we need we need to yeah. put in play put in place areas where people can yeah. can change and Absolutely. learn. Absolutely, so, um, that's my so only point. give her a little bit, educate her, educate her yeah, exactly. She did lose her job. 
Um, this was at the same time as the video of George Floyd being murdered by the police was being released and was used to show the type of discrimination that African-Americans face over and over and over again. While this horrible incident put Christian Cooper in the spotlight, his interest in being a public figure was limited to birding. <laughs> so this Poor is, guy. it turns good. In a follow-up interview with Good Morning America, I'm sad it wasn't the Today Show, <laughs> but it, with Good Morning America, regarding the incident, they returned to the park to discuss it. Partway through the interview, while discussing how the incident reflected race relations in the country, Christian heard a bird and cried out, Oven bird. And the focus of the interview shifted to the camera crew following Christian as he went looking for the bird. So cool. So Christian's enthusiasm for the birds paid off. He has been tapped to host a National Geographic show called Extraordinary Birder, which will follow Christian around the world to seek out interesting and amazing birds. The show has been described by National Geographic as, quote, whether braving stormy seas in Alaska for puffins, trekking into rainforests for in Puerto Rico for parrots, or scaling a bridge in Manhattan for a peregrine falcon, <laughs> he does whatever it takes to learn about these extraordinary Aww. feathered creatures and show us the remarkable world in the sky above. That's awesome. I know. It's so great that yeah. he's... I mean, something amazing has been out of something out. horrible. Yes. But... So a release date hasn't been announced yet, but I... have to watch that. Yes, that I will good. definitely be watching this show, and we'll be talking about it. Fear grows out of the things we think. It lives in our minds. Compassion grows out of the things we are and lives in our hearts. Barbara Garrison. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.